you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Right. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. Super, super excited today for the myth, the man, the legend, Mr. Cole Hatter. How you doing, brother? I'm good, dude. Thanks for having me on the show, bro. Yeah, thanks for joining. I mean, you're like where you're at right now in your status of real estate investing as a businessman, um, you know, just all aspects of your life having that, you know, three-dimensional businessman. I really love everything that you're doing. And um, you know, you're definitely somebody that I admire and look up to. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to jumping on this. Thank you, bro. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm excited. Let's, let's rock and roll. Yeah, man. So, um, so anybody crazy out there that doesn't actually know a little bit of your story, do you mind just giving a couple minutes background of like, you know, I know your story is very impactful and uh, a little deep. So if you could give a little bit of that and then how you jumped into real estate. Sure. Yeah. I'll give the, you know, high 10,000 foot overview and we can go as deep on any of the subjects as you want. But I was originally a firefighter, graduated high school, did my academy, was working with the fire department, got in a car accident off duty. That matters because, uh, you know, you don't get paid if you hurt yourself off duty. And so I got in a car accident. There was a rollover car accident. I was ejected from the car. Uh, I've had a 100% recovery, but immediately following that accident, I was in a wheelchair for a while. Then I was on crutches and a cane and Essentially, I had to learn how to walk again. Uh, I had a traumatic brain injury that I had to heal from. And so I actually had to move back in with my parents because I was so hurt, I couldn't even care for myself. And then um, it looked like in that moment, you know, we didn't know that firefighter was going to be an option for me anymore. You can't be a firefighter without having perfect physical health. So I need to look elsewhere. And uh, I decided that real estate looked like a good option. I wanted to be a real estate agent because my parents' next door neighbors were a realtor agent and broker and they were doing great. And I did that. I took my state exam. I got my license. I was so excited. And I went to a real estate training uh, where I assumed that anyone that did real estate all did the same thing. So when it was a real estate training, I was like, oh, perfect. I'll go. I didn't realize that I walked into a real estate investor training. Mm-hmm. So I very quickly, like, I'm, I'm not kidding you. This was maybe 10 days after I passed my test. Like I hadn't even hung my license with a broker yet. I hadn't done a listing yet. I just brand new real estate agent. So I walk in and I all of a sudden learn the difference between commissions and profits. And so how much more lucrative being an investor could be. So I decided right then I'm going to be an investor instead. That was in 2005. So it's now 13 years later. And so what's interesting about real estate for me is it was never like on my to-do list. I never grew up saying someday I'm going to do real estate. Firefighting was what I'd always wanted to do because I like helping people. And uh, in that year of physically recovering from my accident is when I launched the real estate business and realized pretty quickly that on every deal I did, I could make as much or even more than my entire annual salary as a firefighter. And it wasn't about the money uh, in the sense that like firefighting wasn't enough money, but I saw having more access to more capital being a better vehicle for me to live what I believe my God-given purpose is. So uh, I realized, hey, firefighting was cool that I got to help people but in such a limited capacity, I got to wait for them to dial 911 and I got to somehow survive off of, as an entry-level firefighter, $42,000 a year. Or I can go make millions of dollars in real estate, 
start my own nonprofits and the different initiatives and for purpose businesses I want to impact the whole world and not just my city and have the financial resources to do anything. So that was like a 13 year journey condensed down into two minutes. But, um, yeah, it was just, you know, a very tragic car accident that put me on a new road. And, uh, in that recovery, I found real estate and, and, uh, I've probably, I mean, it's the business I started first and the one I've been doing the longest in these 13 years, I've probably started 30 businesses. 25 of them have failed. Uh, a dozen have failed miserably and cost me money, but the four or five I've gotten right have been worth the journey and have more than paid me enough for all those losses that I'm way up. So that's kind of it. Yeah, man. I love it. Um, now you, you started off your education in, in fortune builders, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, sort of. So I started off in the school of hard knocks in 2005. I didn't find fortune builders until 2011. So those, yeah, so I did real estate on my own for five years. Uh, and the first two years, 2005 through 2007, were incredible. 2008 through 2010, I lost everything. Yeah, I quit real estate in 2010, moved to Mexico, and just did philanthropy for seven months. Worked with a, a nonprofit down there, started an orphanage, came back to America. That's when I met Than, and that's when I found Fortune Builders, and that's when I actually got educated and then have been doing pretty well since. Okay, very awesome. Um, I mean, so some of the things that you have done, you are an angel investor. You're the man that created uh, Thrive, which is awesome. You know, teaching people how to make money matter. Amen. And uh, I definitely want to go over that towards the end. But, um, you know, you've also, some of your, your highlights, you've, you've definitely, you jumped into fix and flip, but you've also created passive income uh, in the Midwest and made like 30,000 plus uh, residual income? Uh, yeah, so correct. Uh, fix and flips my jam. I like buying properties in the million dollar range, uh, like 800 to 1.1 million, 800,000 to 1.1 million. And then uh, renovating them from anywhere from like 100 to 350,000 worth of renovations. Uh, and then selling them depending on what I bought them and purchased them for like the one, two to one, eight range. That's kind of yeah. my bread and butter. Uh, here in Southern California, I live in Orange County, California. There's almost as many buyers between a million and a million five as there are between 500,000 and a million, but there's one third the investors. So I get less competition and almost as many people to sell my deals to. I don't know why, actually, I guess why most investors don't play in this area is they just can't raise the million, million five they need, uh, which is super important to know how to raise money in real estate. Yep. But anyway, so that's my niche. And so we buy those, we fix them, we flip them, and then we take that money to live off of, to provide for ourselves, and then to reinvest into buying holds where we're buying and holding primarily in the Midwest, uh, a combination of residential. And now really our primary focus is buying as much multifamily commercial buildings as possible. By commercial, I mean multifamily, anything over five yeah. units is, is commercial. And so uh, that's it. So fix and flip out here, take the money, live off of it, take the rest, invest it in a buy and hold. And that's the same with the rest of my businesses that are non-real estate related, the okay. money I generate there, we live off of and then invest the rest also in real estate. So <clears throat> I either make my money in real estate uh, and stick it there or I make my money elsewhere and stick it there, but it all ends up, you know, in, in real estate. Yeah. Okay, cool. Man, it was so funny watching you and Grant Cardone the other day uh, kind of battle it out. <laughs> uh, you know, For the record, I won. Dude, you definitely won. I saw it all day. <laughs> yeah. I, I, know I was, was playing doing. nice. I was, I was playing nice and I'm sure he was too, but like, uh, you know, dude, Grant knows more about commercial real estate than I, in his pinky finger than I do, but I know a lot more about residential cause he doesn't play there. And so, 
yeah, there's that segment where he was talking about how I do financing. I was like, I don't put any money in. And he's yeah. like, yeah, but is that duplicatable? I wanted to be like, literally just Google it, bro. Like there's probably 800 hard money lenders in just Miami alone. But anyway, it was his show. I wanted to play nice. But yeah, it was really fun to, to get on there with Uncle G and, and be talking, uh, talking smack. Yeah, man, that was funny. Um, so I asked a couple people before we jumped on here, you know, what did they actually want to hear from you and mm -hmm. what did they want to learn? Now the podcast, it has a lot of beginners and like, uh, mid-level, I guess people that have a few deals under their belt, but, um, it, it's really the whole podcast is geared towards educating people, motivating them and preparing them to take action in real estate. Yeah. So, People want to, I, I know you've already talked about this in the past uh, on other podcasts, but people wanted to hear a little bit about your first deal and what did that look like? How did you get started? Right. So I'll go to the first, first deal. Yeah. Uh, I, with helping my uncle, we found a very unique niche. We're in Austin, Texas, big builders like DR Horton, Pulte, Shea, like these big national builders that build hundreds of thousands of homes a year. They were trying to grow. Austin's suburb. It's not, not Austin proper, but like Pflugerville, Kyle, Cedar City or Cedar Park, Round Rock, all these different, you know, suburbs surrounding the Austin market. And they were doing 10% uh, like commissions to buyers agents. Mm -hmm. So we were making stupid amounts of money. And so the, the strategy back then was, you know, take these Southern Californians that have oodles of cash of equity in their homes and tell them to reinvest that into rental properties in Austin, Texas. And every time they bought a deal, they didn't pay me a penny. They paid for the house what the builders were selling it for. And then the builders would give us a 10% commission. So we were so excited to provide this value to our buyers. Uh, and again, we weren't marking it up. It was what the builders were selling for. It was retail, but it was booming so much that six to eight months later, once that pre-construction house was built, there was so much equity. They loved us. Mm -hmm. We're getting these huge checks. So where I started making money in real estate first was helping my uncle in that endeavor, uh, going and speaking at different RIA groups and talking about owning rental properties in the Austin marketplace and the growth and the projected values and all the projected rents. And we were getting a lot of money that way. The first time I actually bought a deal and owned it was in Phoenix, Arizona, and it was a buy and hold rental uh, property. Uh, it was nothing fancy. It was a duplex, a, a two bedroom, 1400 square foot, not duplex, excuse me, condo, uh, 1400 square foot that we just bought because it was uh, a booming market at that point in Phoenix and just stuck a renter in. So I wish it was like super sexy. Yeah. Um, at that point, it was 2006. So there was 0% uh, down financing. So I bought that property with no money out of my pocket. I actually got a credit back at closing. So I made, I think around seven grand just for buying it. No money out of my pocket. And I got a check back for about seven grand. And then I cash flowed at like 400 bucks a month. So not super exciting, but that was the first time that I ever owned a piece of real estate uh, in any capacity. It wasn't my first investment deal. I didn't even own a home at that point. And I was 21. So that was the first piece of real estate I ever owned. And again, we can talk about my first like creative financing deal, but that was it. I just went to the bank, got a loan, bought a condo, put a renter in there and cash flowed it. Yeah. I mean, at 21 years old, coming from, you know, little money and then actually getting paid out on buying a, a real estate deal. I think that's pretty, 
it definitely gets some some wheels turning. So that's pretty. Yeah, fun. those those uh, there there's a lot of ways to get paid out of closing. Um, but those builder incentives aren't there now, but they'll come and go. Right now, yep. the market's strong enough that they don't need to kind of bribe buyers in the sense that they're not hey buy and get money back at closing. But you can get deferred maintenance credits and all types of cool things in closing uh, that that will either come back to you in the form of a check or come off your purchase price. So okay. creative financing is is the name of the game. Uh, you know, for the people out there that are just getting standard 30 or fixed mortgages, 20% down on their uh, deals, you know, they're so limited in what's available. Uh, but if you learn creative financing, like hard money, private money, subject to uh, all those different types of acquisition strategies, um, seller financing, dude, the, the options are endless. Oh yeah, of course. Um, okay. So I do want to talk to you about partnerships, multifamily, and then building systems. Okay. But um, as far as partnerships goes, I know you've had a lot of strong, successful ones and obviously ones that didn't work out so well. Um, what would you recommend to somebody getting started on, you know, finding that right partnership and exactly like kind of going over what is needed up front? Don't do it. Don't do it. I don't think that there's very many people that partner for the right reasons. Now that might look like a hypocrite because my wife's my partner with Thrive and my dad's my partner in real estate. So that's family. I'll put it. Yeah, I'll put it this way. Um, most people partner out of fear. I've had enough experience, even though you know I'm not old and gray. I've been doing it 13 years now, and I have enough experience of watching friends, family, and you know, uh, distant friends, colleagues uh, start businesses. And the first thing they do is grow and grab a partner because they're just quite frankly, afraid to do it on their own. And they feel like spreading the risk and work across another person is safer and easier. And maybe it is. Then you get past startup and you get to being profitable and you've got a great business that now for the rest of your life, you have to give somebody 50% of. And somebody else has an equal say in your business's direction and future. And so there are a few reasons why partnering makes sense. But by far the majority of people I see partnering are totally blowing it by partnering and shouldn't have. So uh, here's two reasons. Number one, you just love the person like my dad and my wife and you just want to do business with them. It's not, there's no financial upside. It's just, hey, if I'm going to go out there and, and do this business, I would love to have my dad next to me or I would love to build this with my wife and just daydream about what can happen and then build it with them. So that's it is that you just love the person. Uh, the second reason is they have such a unique skill set or expertise in what your business needs that it's worth giving them equity for. Uh, for instance, I'll make something up. Uh, digital marketing. I own my own digital marketing agency. Let's just say I didn't and I wanted to launch Thrive and I had no idea how to do ads. I might tell somebody, hey, uh, Brandon, let's pretend you've got a digital marketing agency and you're quoting me 15 grand to work with you. I'd say, I'll tell you what, I'm not paying you anything, but you can have a third of Thrive if you do all your marketing for free. And yep. you say, you know what, Cole, I'm in. So now I have a partner because you had such a unique skill set that was so critical to the success of my business. It made financial sense for me to give you ownership and equity in my business because of the value you bring to the table. My business couldn't exist without you. And it's better for me to get 66% of something than 100% of nothing. Those are like the only two reasons it ever makes sense to have a partnership. You just love them like my father and my wife or you literally couldn't do it without them. And so you have to exchange equity for it to work. Most people just go and get partners because they don't want to do all the work. They want to do half the work or they're afraid to do it all on their own. 
So I say that almost always having a partner doesn't make sense. What might make sense is doing a rev share where you still own all the business, but on those first few deals or for the first year, whatever it is, you do a split or a profit share that eventually goes away because most people only need a partner in startup. And then five years down the road, you're freaking crushing it, only making half of every dollar you earn because you were dumb and in the beginning had a partner. So I've kind of got strong feelings on that. But I think that people really need to evaluate why they're getting partners. I think that most people would realize they shouldn't have an actual partner that owns half of their business and they should have done some type of rev share. Even if it's a 50-50 rev share, yeah. and I say, hey, Brandon, I want you to come in and I'll pay you 50% of the tickets that come in from Thrive as opposed to giving you equity. I tell you what. Uh, you do all the marketing for Thrive, bro. I know you're not a digital marketer, but just pretend. And for every ticket that comes in, I'll give you half. And you're like, done. We do Thrive. It's amazing. Thrive ends. So does our partnership. Now, maybe I want to do it again next year. And I say, bro, you were so good. Let's do it again this year. Or my business grows to the point where I don't need you anymore. And I bring that in house. And now you don't own half of Thrive the rest of my life. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah. so again, that's a, a mouthful. And maybe that's more than you were asking for, but I do feel strongly that most people are doing partnerships out of fear when they probably should have just done a rev share model. And once they're over that hump of startup and they're actually profitable and moving forward, they don't have someone that owns a part or all their, or half of their business forever. You can just cut the rev share. Wow. Yeah. This really has me thinking. <laughs> this, uh, I haven't heard of rev share either. But, oh uh, yeah, dude. It's like, Hey, instead of getting half my business, I'll give you half the profits. I still yeah. own the business. And after thrive ends, we reevaluate or I just don't need you anymore. And you don't own my business. So rev share is a huge way to, and not everyone will be open to it. You might say no way, Cole, uh, because you know, for me to pay my staff to do your marketing, that's out of pocket. I'm not going to pay out of pocket to do your ticket sales. And then we'd have to renegotiate. Okay. I'll cover your basic expense. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so not, it's not everything's as clean as, Hey, I'm not going to pay. Let's do a rev share. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. But I would, I would do something more creative than just, Hey, let's start a business together. You own half, I own half. Now your first few deals though, you jumped in with a lawyer putting up his money and then you were able, I mean, you split a joint venture 50, 50. Um, yeah. So that was the first creative okay. deal. So, so buying that rental duplex or now yeah. I kept on a duplex, a condo in um, Phoenix was my first quote unquote deal. Okay. However, the first fix and flip active income buying and flipping, which might be what people were asking for. Yeah. Uh, there was a gentleman that went to our church and he was a real estate attorney and he understood real estate and he was doing well financially, but he didn't want to waste time flipping houses. He wanted to go build a huge law firm. So I took him out to lunch and said, Hey buddy, I was actually like brunch. And I said, Hey buddy, uh, we don't know each other. Well, here's what I want to do. Here's my vision. Here's the deals we're looking at. Here's how much money I need. And when I do this deal, I'll make, I'll do all the work. Absolutely all the work. You won't even have to send a text message to a contractor. I'll do everything. You put up all the money. And when we flip it, we'll split it 50-50. He agreed. Then we renegotiated because my dad was my partner. And why should he and I split 50 and my lawyer gets 50? So we did it 33, 33, 33. And I'll point out, he owned 0% of my business. It was a rev share deal. So okay. then he funded all of the deals. My dad and I did 100% of the work, all of it. He did nothing other than wire the money. We flipped a, you know, a bunch of houses. And again, he got 33 and a third. I got 33 and a third. My dad got 33 and a third. And then we eventually found things like hard money lenders, private money lenders that were a lot cheaper and started borrowing that money at a set interest rate as opposed to a profit share. And so that was the very first deal for those of you that were hoping for that answer. Yeah. Found properties, bought them, rehabbed them and flipped them. And on the flip, whatever our profit was, just to make the math simple, let's say the profit was 10 grand. We made a lot more than that. Let's just say it was 10 grand. I got 3,300. My dad got 3,300. The attorney got 3,300 onto the next one. Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, right now I was actually just about to jump into a, a partnership um, with uh, Dominic Wood. Cool. And, well, uh, Dom's family, so now I feel like I screwed family, him up. Right? But <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Dom, I always don't know what to call him. His brother's married to my sister, right? So that he's not my brother-in-law because his brother is my brother-in-law. So we just call each other family. But That's truly, right. Dom's brother is my wife's brother or wait what the heck my sisters whatever you get it so bottom you. line is we're family but yeah sure. dude uh dom's a good guy he's got a good heart yeah he's a good guy he's part of the family he's here at thanksgiving and christmas we hang out all the time yeah. and um what i would say is because he is a gangster and is freaking flipping like 10 deals simultaneously per month. where i could see that making sense is temporarily maybe on a per deal basis and not on a long-term basis leveraging his expertise where you're doing the work he's doing the critical thinking and leveraging his expertise to do profit shares until you get to the point where you feel like you can do it on your own. So I hope I'm not stealing money from my family member here. But I do know Dom is a freaking gangster. And so yeah. again, not that your listeners right now are like, we don't know Dom, we don't care. Uh, again, if you're considering entering into a partnership, I would do not some, you know, 50, 50 split forever in perpetuity. Like a, Hey, let's do some deals together and let's make the rev share look like this. And then let's discuss going forward what that looks like. Okay. Yeah. I love it. Cool. So, um, so one of my buddies, uh, Chase ended up asking this question in regards to multifamily for somebody just starting off. So if you were starting like with a fresh clean slate, um, which tactics would you recommend for someone for someone finding and purchasing out of area 16 to 32 units, commercial apartment buildings. What would be the first step they said? Yeah. Like, uh, like your tactics and, um, and just to, to, to find it and purchase. So when it comes to multifamily, I've bought a lot of real estate. I've never seen with my own eyes, just pictures, yep. uh, in my career, probably more than half the properties I've ever owned. I never actually even saw in person. Uh, and for single family residences, FSF, SFRs as we call them, uh, yeah. that's, that's not a big deal. When you're buying a 20, 30, 40 unit apartment building, you got to go. So the first thing I would say is figure out your price point because a 20 unit apartment building in Orange County is going to be 10 million bucks. Yeah. Uh, in Columbus, Ohio, it's going to be 200,000, right? So figure out what your price range is, what your goals are, what cap rates you're shopping for, because certain cap rates exist in some markets that don't in others. And that's one of the things Grant and I love to argue about that you saw on the show yesterday. Um, and so once you've identified that, let's just say like, okay, here's my parameters and deals like this exist in Pittsburgh and Oklahoma and Tulsa and just all the different areas. And then you're going to want to go out there and shop and then you're going to want to meet with commercial brokers uh, who you build relationships with and can get you the pocket listings from like mom and pop shy, mom and pop type owners. I can't speak today. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a website called LoopNet yeah. that's uh, just commercial deals, but it's not even, you don't even need a license. You just need to know how to type loopnet.com into your computer and press enter. And those are cool, but it, yeah. it's a needle in a haystack finding a good deal making a relationship with local brokers who live there. So I live in California. If I want to buy deals in Pittsburgh, I would fly out there and I would meet with commercial brokers who live, eat, sleep, and breathe commercial real estate in Pittsburgh. I would show them that I'm real through a proof of funds and through my credibility packets so they don't think I'm a waste of their time so they know I'm someone worth spending their time on. I would give them my parameters and I'd tell them to go find me deals. Yeah. 
And if they're sending me deals that are on the you know public sites like LoopNet, I'd be like, dude, this isn't going to work. And I'd incentivize them uh, because you know when I buy a property, they get paid. And uh, I would have them start bringing me deals, off-market deals. Uh, we call those pocket listings. And you know, real estate agents just want to get paid. The reason they put it on public websites like the MLS, et cetera, is because they want to try to get paid faster. But when they know that I'll pay cash, they're willing to bypass the typical process of putting a property on the MLS or whatever and uh, sharing it with the world when they're like, Cole, you pay cash, you close quickly. Do you want this deal? It's kind of like having the first right of refusal. They'll, yeah. they'll bring me the opportunities. I'll decide whether I want them or not. If I do, I'll buy them. If not, I say no thanks. And then they go and market them to the world. So as a first step, number one, I'll make this like step by step. Number one, you have to identify the market that has the type of deals you can afford and that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Number two, you need to go out there, put boots on the ground, ask a lot of questions with local agents and brokers of where the growth is going and what areas have higher, uh, like maintain their, be- their property values better. What's the high crime areas you should avoid? You know, where is the, where's the, the growth and the progression of that city? What direction? Uh, do all that and then start number three, building relationships with local commercial brokers and asking them to send you, you know, uh, private deals, what we call pocket listings. And this isn't like insider trading. That's very illegal in the stock world. But in real estate, you know, these referral, these, these, you know, pocket listings are huge, totally legal. And it's where you can make a lot of money. For sure. Now, uh, is that like your best way or um, strategy to, to finding most of your deals? Just word of mouth? Yeah. I mean, or, I mean, ha- have you become pretty successful with like direct mail marketing or other strategies? Yeah. So, I do all that. Uh, I have 500 bandit signs in my garage right now that someone yeah. puts out for me. Uh, I, I haven't done it in quite a while, but I do direct mail campaigns. Okay. Uh, I'm doing a flip right now that is going to be the most lucrative. It's the deal I put on the screen yesterday with Grant. In Newport? Uh, Newport Laguna Beach. Beach, yeah. So that Laguna Beach house that is going to be the most profitable deal in my life, I found from a yellow letter direct mail campaign notice of default. The homeowner wasn't paying their mortgage, sent him a letter. He called me on the third letter we sent him. Uh, here we are yeah yeah that's another thing too yeah the multi-touch campaigns i send multiple letters to each each recipient but anyway so yeah we uh we got that one under contract and we own it now and we're in the middle of renovating it and that was from letters so i do my own marketing uh but i also have local real estate agents for instance i literally just got a text right before i started this call from one of my realtors about a deal you know um you know, that's how I can't put on the screen, but right there, it's like, you know, eight to 11% returns. He's like, what do you think about this deal? So this could be the next profitable deal I do. And it was just texted to me 45 minutes ago. So yeah, real estate really is a relationship business. Um, I do my own marketing campaigns cause I don't want to put all my marbles in one basket and rely on that guy to feed my family. Yeah. What if he finds another investor that he likes more and just stops sending me deals? I'd be, right. I'd be insolvent. So yes. I want to do my own marketing. I want to build relationships with real estate agents and I want them to send me deals like that text right there all the time for me to make offers on. And then knowing realistically that, you know, every 20 offers I make, I'll only get one deal, maybe more or less. Uh, And so that's another important metric for people to understand because I'll meet people and they'll be like, well, Cole, it's way too competitive here in Denver. And I'm like, why is it so competitive in Denver? They'll be like, I just made five offers last month and none of them got accepted. I'm like, so what's your point? You, you got 15 more to go before you're even anywhere in the realm of what's normal. Like, so, so that's important too, is that, that your listeners who haven't yet maybe bought a deal or are just getting started understand 
it is a numbers game and it's volume. So I want to make a lot of offers is what I'm getting at. So I do marketing campaigns. I have real estate agents bring me pocket listings. I want to make 20 offers a month to try to get a deal or two. Yeah, I normally shoot for like 100 if I'm really, you know, going for it. Now, the area that I actually invest in uh, is about 30 minutes away from Pittsburgh in Ohio. And um, it's more of a buyer's market over there. So I don't need to actually go too crazy. Um, but as far as direct mail marketing, you said, you know, multiple touches. And that's with any type of sales for the most part. But you know, what is your average typically? I know three, that, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'll send four to six letters to everybody. And then obviously as I'm getting calls from people to go through and take that name and address off the list, so I'm not sending them letters I don't need to anymore. But very few people call me on my first letter. Very, very few people say, hey, I just got your letter today and I'm calling you. It's almost always like, hey man, you know, I got a couple of your letters. And uh, what's cool about direct mail specifically is I'll literally have someone call me a year later like yeah. someone's like, Hey, I got your letter. I put it on the, uh, what's it called? The uh, refrigerator. Yeah. Um, you know, I was going through some personal things, divorce, whatever. That's all over now. Do you still want to buy it? It's like, I haven't sent a letter out and you know, so, but anyway, so yeah, multi-touch campaigns. I would highly recommend sending multiple letters to every person you're sending a letter to. Okay. And do you use like a Google number? You don't put your actual number on there. Right? Yeah. Uh, we have a bunch of different, uh, different sites like that. We do have Google numbers and then there's a few others besides Google that, that we use as well. Okay. Very cool. Uh, there's a website called call eight with a K K A L L the number eight.com. Uh, a few other different services where you can buy these phone numbers that when someone calls it, it's not your personal number, it just auto forwards to you. Uh, there's probably one, two, three, four, five, five different phone numbers will ring to my cell phone. Uh, or six, if you include my actual personal cell phone number. So my cell phone number plus five more numbers that just auto forward. It's not that fancy like Google voice, et cetera. So, um, but unfortunately Google voice will only let you do one. I can't go get five Google voice numbers and forward them all to my cell. Cause it says this number is already associated. So that's why we've had to go out there and find other service providers as well. Okay. Very nice. Um, so I, I do want to talk a little bit more about multifamily, you know, what you look for particularly in your deals and, uh, just expand a little bit more in multifamily. Cause that's something that I'm very interested in. I, I would like to get into, you know, hundred unit complex is the goal within the next few years. Um, as well as after that, I want to talk about systems. Cool. So what I look for in a deal, uh, good cash flow. um, immediate room for improvement. Yeah. Uh, this is where Grant and I see different. So, so Grant and I, I'm not just bringing him up cause you mentioned him in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, he and I both agree that multifamily's a game changer and that's where you should be. We disagree. He wants to buy something that's completely done. He yeah. just wants to take $80 million, stick it in a property and forget about it. Uh, yeah. you know, he was talking about, I think this was at, at dinner at his house. I don't think this was on the air. He's talking about the two deals he's buying right now. One was in Orlando that he just closed on. He's like, that thing's on simmer. It's in the back of my stove. I'm not even going to think about it for 10 years. I bought it. I own it. I'm not even going to think about it for 10 years. That's the opposite of what I want. I want to buy something that's barely hanging on by a thread <laughs> and do the improvements to immediately line my pockets. I want to buy something that's 80% occupied, 70% occupied, right? Way low in occupancy rates. The rents are below. The, the rent should be 1500 a month and it's only bringing in 1200 a month per unit and it looks like crap. And I want to come in and I want to drop a few hundred grand to make it beautiful. I want to, each time the lease needs to be renewed, raise rents up to what's fair for that marketplace. And I want to raise occupancy from 70% to 95% 
right away. So that makes Grant's skin turn or whatever you'd say, uh, stomach turn because he doesn't want to do anything. He just wants to write a check. And when you make as much money as he does, I get it. Like you got $80 million sitting around. You don't want to do it. Yeah. Go buy real estate for me who doesn't have $80 million just lying around. Uh, I want to buy something way under market because it's a piece of junk. Not that it's in the hood and like, I'm never going to collect rents. Like it hasn't been maintained properly. I'm going to make it beautiful. I'm going to raise the rents. I'm going to raise the occupancy. And now I'm literally like printing money. Um, and that's what I'm looking for. So okay. uh, besides the deal in the marketplace, I'm looking for strong jobs and predicted job growth. I'm looking for migration trends. Immigrations coming from another country. Migration is if you moved from where you live to California, you just migrated. So I'm looking for good migration trends. Um, that there's more people coming in than is going out, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so the local economy matters to me. I want to look at local unemployment rates. Uh, I want to look at, in that neighborhood, crime as well. So for the property, I want to see a way to make immediate improvements. For the area, strong job growth, low unemployment, uh, migration, like entry migration trends, not exitory. Like I remember one time I was looking at deals and I think it was 2011 in Las Vegas and they were getting 3,000 people a month moving in and 12,000 people were moving out yeah. every month. That's scary. And that's why I was looking at buying out there because you could get dollar, you could get, you know, real estate for p pennies on the dollar. I didn't end up pulling the trigger because it was so scary, but those are all the things I'm going to look at. So again, long answers, but I'm hoping that your audience, you know, maybe taking some notes and this is helpful. No, no, they definitely are. Um, yeah. So for my strategy, I actually, I buy like distressed properties in the uh, area. I do a full remodel on them, rent them out, and then I refinance. Mm -hmm. So I know you're talking the other day about leverage and I believe you, you were kind of against leveraging too much. And I, I just wanted to kind of get your feedback and your opinion on my strategy because I leverage to like the third degree. And, um, I, I do, I mean, I'm getting fixed loans, fixed mortgages, 30 years, uh, with good rates and all cash flow extremely well. But my goal is to build up a strong portfolio and then start doing like velocity banking and paying them all off. So are you using traditional mortgages? Like, yeah. So the problem with those is Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac back mortgages are limited to 10. So once you get to your 10th rental or your 10th property, if you own your own home, nine rentals, they won't give you another mortgage. Yep. Um, to your point of, do I believe in leverage or not in my business? I'm all leverage. I go 100% financing because I, for rentals, sure. A traditional like 30 or fixed is good, but for fix and flips, I am going to get either a private lender that will pay for the entire purchase and renovation, or I'm going to do a combo first position, hard money lender, second position, private lender, and put not a dollar of my own money in. Mm -hmm. I am 100% all a fan of leverage in my personal life. And this is what you heard me talking about. I don't have any debt. So I, I live two lives in my business. I want to be swimming in debt to have an asset that pays the debt off, right? If I'm going to go $1.2 million into debt by buying a house for a million bucks and putting 200,000 into it and I finance the whole thing, it's because I'm going to sell it for one, four, five and net 150 grand. Yeah. I don't care that I'm going to be 1.2 million in debt when I pay the debt back and keep 150,000. Yeah. But in my personal life, I've paid cash for every car I own. Uh, I don't have any credit card debt, personal credit card debt. Business is different. Uh, like 
in my personal life, I literally don't owe anybody a dollar and I have no leverage other than my house that I live in, my yeah. personal residence. So, yeah, so no, that's, that's exactly like the difference between good debt and bad debt. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm a fan of good debt. I'm not a fan of bad debt. And I'm the minority in this conversation. Most of my peers are like, Cole, you're an idiot. Why would you spend a hundred thousand dollars on your wife's Escalade cash when you could have gotten a lease spent $12,000 over the next three years or whatever it would be. And then just give the car back. I totally get it. And yeah. I know financially that makes more sense. And that hundred grand that I bought her Escalade for, I could have done a million other things with, but at the end of the day, two things have happened to me. Number one, I've almost died a few times. And like people say that all the time, like, oh my gosh, you know, I was skateboarding and fell. I almost died. No, like I got ejected out of the car and my brain was bleeding out of my ears. Like I literally almost died. And once I became a father and I looked in the eyes of my five-year-old right there, who was, who was number one, who was first, I became a total instant wuss. I was this stupid adrenaline junkie who wanted to do a, a wheelie on a motorcycle at 150 miles an hour down the freeway between cars for my, for my thrills. And as soon as my daughter was born, I don't, I don't skydive anymore. That used to be like my favorite thing. I don't live in fear, but I don't want to die in a selfish way where my, my dad has to walk my daughters down the aisle because daddy was doing a wheelie on the freeway when he shouldn't have been. If I'm going to die early, it's going to be from something that I didn't do or didn't have control over. And then financially, I live the same way. If I died tonight, uh, my wife has no bills tomorrow. Yeah. And we're doing very well. We have money and we have a lot of income. And even if I died, a lot of my businesses like rental properties would keep paying my wife. Literally, I have no bills. And so I don't live in fear like I'm going to die any minute. But I live prepared that if my little girls and my wife didn't have me for any reason anymore, which knock on wood, I want to live forever. Uh, if I, if I, if I didn't make it, my wife could literally never work a day in her life and not have to sell a car, not have to sell our house, not have to get a job. And that's why I do that. And I am by far the minority of people that live in my space of investor. All of us believe in high leverage and not buying a car cash because it's completely pissing away money. For me, I'd rather piss away money and, and sleep like a baby at night knowing my wife has no overhead. That's right. I'm so glad that you brought up, you know, the the difference between you're not living in fear because I feel like so many people actually live in fear and it holds them back from their true, um, you know, what God has called them to do. So I'm glad you, you know, actually uh, brought up the difference there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't really need to say much more about it, but yeah, it's, it's not waking up every day, like with one eye open, like, oh man, it's today the day I'm going to die. But it's like, Hey man, I'm prepared for anything. Uh, my life plans are around being here forever, but heaven forbid, you know, I've got life insurance. I've got, I've got it covered, uh, but still, I'm just not going to leave my wife with $30,000 a month of credit card debt, car loan, lease crap. It's, it's all paid off. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I want to talk to you about systems because as an entrepreneur in general, or, you know, obviously real estate as well, um, to get to your next level, it, it's all about systems and building the correct one and actually, you know, processing, um, you know, delegating certain tasks as well as doing things that, you know, focusing on things in your business that you do need to do and staying out of things that, you know, is wasting your time. Um, what has actually, you know, added value in your life by, by creating systems? Like what, what would you recommend to a new, a newbie getting started? 
So read the E-Myth by Michael Gerber, because yeah. that's probably the best book on this subject of not being a technician, but being an entrepreneur. It's that's the right. whole premise of the whole book right there. Uh, the next thing I would say is understand that all of us do everything when we start. My mentor, Than Merrill, uh, who's an absolute gangster at real estate investing and is the most system dependent dude I've ever met. Like he could literally never show up to work again and all of his businesses would run without him. Not to say he doesn't bring value, but he systemized them. Yeah. Uh, even he was pounding bandit signs on the side of the road himself when he got started. So uh, he was looking and sticking envelopes and addressing envelopes himself when he got started. So the point is, understand that all of us start a business without systems. But what you're going to want to do as quickly as possible is document every process so that you can then duplicate that by somebody else. What's cool about computers is you can video that or screencast that through like a, a program called Camtasia, load it up onto a, a platform like YouTube or Vimeo or whatever. And everything that you do that you document and systemize when you hire a new person, they can go through the process. Think about McDonald's. They're the most, they're the best at this. Yeah. They're a multi-billion dollar industry being ran by minimum wage teenagers. Right. I mean, the corporate execs aren't, you know, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of, of the hundreds of thousands of McDonald's employees, 99% of them are minimum wage teenagers. So how is that possible? Because McDonald's has systemized their process so well that anybody can show up to that job and learn how to create the exact same result every single time. And so it's a matter of getting in and rolling up your sleeves and getting willing to get dirty as an entrepreneur, put your head down and grind it out. And then document everything you do, not in your mind, but in a flow chart or over a video, which is what I prefer. And, and even if it's not on the screen, like I'll literally turn my camera on on my desktop and just look at the camera and explain something and maybe have a whiteboard behind me and draw it out because yeah. then I don't have to reteach it. So like, let's just say I hired you and verbally taught you my system. Then you get a job transfer or whatever you, I guess if you're working for me, you wouldn't get a job transfer, but you leave for yeah. whatever reason. I got to re-explain that to somebody versus in this case, the person I hire after you leave, I'll just play them the same video. So that's what I recommend to beginner entrepreneurs is number one, be willing to do it all yourself. Number two, everything you do, document that process to the point where there's a formula or a recipe. Like for instance, I could go downstairs and make cupcakes and then I could give you the box and you read the directions and you make cupcakes. And then we do a taste test for our families and say, whose cupcakes are whose? And they would look the same. They would taste the same. They would be the same because we followed the same recipe. You got to create recipes for your business so that if you're having any type of employee turnover, the new employees follow the same explanation, the same training to create the same result. And then your job as an entrepreneur is to manage the systems that the people are running. And, uh, you know, if anyone's taking notes and writing things down, I'd write this down. You know, an entrepreneur knows the difference between jobs and responsibilities. That's right. When you get started, you have all the jobs. But as you grow, you start outsourcing the jobs and it's just your responsibility to make sure that they're being done. Mm, that's so good. I've never heard it explained like that with the whole videos and everything. You said uh, Camtasia? Yeah, so Camtasia is a screen recording platform. Okay. For, for my real estate business, most of it's offline. And in that case, I'm just recording it in real world, whiteboarding it. But like Thrive, for instance, um, how to issue refunds in my merchant processor because people will buy a ticket. They'll be like, oh my gosh. I can't come anymore and all that stuff, right? Or if people want to upgrade, like how to run my credit card terminal. Yeah. That happens online. So what Camtasia does, and it's a, I think it's like 99 bucks a year. It's not expensive or a couple hundred bucks a year. Yeah. I can record my entire screen and use a microphone like this. And what my employee sees is a video. They press play. They see my screen and hear my voice. 
And I say, okay, if someone wants a refund, you click up here and it shows my mouse moving. You click up here, you click right here, you press the issue refund. If they want an upgrade, you click right here. You And at blah, 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 I record the whole thing. I save it, I upload it, and they watch it. And let's say they were confused. They watch it 15 times and now they got it. Okay. So, so for things like that, for instance, from real estate business, maybe how to do comps on the MLS. If I wanted to teach someone on my team how to pull comps on the MLS, I would go and pull comps on three or four properties on the computer while running Camtasia, recording the whole thing and narrating what I'm doing into a microphone like this. You don't even need a nice mic. You can just do it right on your, your, you know, your camera speaker yeah. um, and, or microphone, I should say, and then you save it. And now if I, my, my 15th employee, I don't have to train them. They still watch the same video the 14 people ahead of them did. No, that's brilliant. I love it. So that, that's Camtasia. Again, it's, it's a software I use. It's, it's super easy to figure out. Very cool. Cool. Um, so I really, uh, I wanted to talk about with direct mail marketing, just going back for a second, um, what kind of, to get your signs, what is, what is like the best sign um, or information out there to, to get the signs? Like, do you just order online? Are you talking about direct mail or bandit signs? You're talking about bandit signs? Bandit signs, yeah. Uh, supercheapsigns.com. Supercheapsigns.com. That's Very where I get my signs. If you go to supercheapsigns.com, you'll see a tab on there that says partners. Um, if you're on a desktop, it's in the bottom right. If you're on your iPhone or your tablet or whatever, it's in the little hamburger menu. Click on partners. There are seven or eight partners. There's one that's called Fortune Builders. Uh, that's my mentor, Than's company. If you click on Fortune Builders, you're going to see a template of like seven or eight pre-templated signs. Pick the one you want customize it any way you want because it says like your phone number is five 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 put in your real phone number put in your credit card put in your address press purchase it ships to your front door there's your band signs oh, i love it cool let's uh let's talk about thrive for a second just because um obviously it's coming up this year last year when i went it impacted my life tremendously and um you know what you really stand for with building other leaders and showing them you know, how to make their money matter and get to uh, eventually your goal is, I don't know if you're there yet, but you know, your goal is to live off 10% of your total income and, and donate 90%. I mean, that's tremendous. Yeah. Not there yet, but that's my goal. Yeah. Cool. I love it. It's so, reverse tithing, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so this year it's on the 14th, 15th, 16th, correct? Yep, September thir uh, 14th, 15th, 16th in Las Vegas, Nevada at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. Not the Hard Rock Cafe. Everyone says the Hard Rock Cafe. It's like I'm not doing an event in a freaking restaurant. So yeah, yeah. the actual Hard Rock Hotel in Las Vegas, uh, yeah, like you said, September 14th, 15th, 16th. Cool. Is there any speakers? Um, I, saw, I saw a message today that you guys got off the phone with somebody pretty big. Yeah, our dream come true. It's not Mark Cuban. Everyone's like, is it Cuban? It's not Mark Cuban. Uh, he did say yes every year for only $500,000 plus, <laughs> plus the gas for his private jet. Anyway, so wow. maybe someday, not anytime soon. Uh, but this guy is, is amazing. So um, I'm not going to say anybody who's not yet under contract, but I would tell anyone who's listening to this, who's interested, go to attend, thrive, dot com uh and you can see the first round of speakers we released we release speakers in three rounds the okay. first round's up there the second round will come maybe in another week and then the third round will come in about a month uh, but uh you know the speakers that are already there for you to see is we're bringing naveen jane back guys worth eight billion bucks yeah uh, we're bringing ty lopez back pretty sure everyone's heard of ty lopez uh 
Lori Harder, we're bringing back and adding her husband, Chris Harder. They make $6 million a year uh, from their laptops on their couch. Uh, so that's really incredible. Uh, I'm trying to think of who we've already released. Gerard Adams, who was the co-founder of Elite Daily, that in his oh. 20s, he sold it for $50 million. Can you imagine being 24 years old, getting <laughs> an idea, and building that business, three and a half years later, you have 200 employees and sell it for 50 million bucks. So he's there. I'm trying to think of, I know all of our speakers, but I'm trying to think of who we released already in that first round. Yeah. Um, I can think, oh, Steve Sims. God, he's on the website. I know that. Steve yeah. Sims is the guy that can make anything happen. Uh, clients pay him to have experiences that are unreal. They've, he sent people to the bottom of the Titanic or the bottom of the ocean to go and explore the Titanic. Uh, somebody wanted to get married in Rome. He got them married in the Vatican by the Pope himself. Like the Pope <laughs> married his clients in the Vatican. Like just the craziest things you can envision. He's done it for people. Yeah. And so, uh, so he's going to talk about how to make anything happen, like anything happen. Uh, so anyway, th that's just a small amount. There's, there's some really incredible speakers coming. Very cool. Very cool. Definitely looking forward to that. It's going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. So, um, so for you personally, like what kind of goals do you have and what is, what does your future look like right now? My goal is to replace myself. I want to get paid to do nothing. And that sounds ridiculous, but I literally want to get paid to do nothing. Not from a selfish standpoint. I want to focus more on the giving back elements and, yeah. um, my businesses are for purpose businesses and that's what we teach at Thrive is how to have a business that doesn't just make money but gives back. Okay. And I want to do more of that. And so uh, right now, 90% of my time is spent on income generation. Mm -hmm. The other 10% is focused on how we can impact people. Uh, I want to just make my full-time job and my wife's full-time job deciding who we're going to bless and have a company that completely runs themselves without us. So my goal right now is to replace myself so that I'm not just drinking beer in my backyard doing nothing, but so that I'm traveling around building wells in Africa and schools and Guatemala and more orphanages throughout Mexico and doing that. And this business is printing cash on its own because it's being ran by itself. So yeah. that's not a 2018 goal. That's like a ongoing goal. That's not something I can do this year. Yeah. But that's my primary goal right now is to back to the conversation we had five minutes ago of systemization of figuring out how to not have to do it anymore so that I can just give the rest of my time to giving back and uh, not need to worry about, you know, running the businesses anymore. As far as real estate is concerned, you know, what is, what is goals um, for that? I want to own 500 doors uh, immediately. I would say like within 12 months, but I want to own 500 doors. So whether that's, a hundred five units or whether that's one 500 unit I want, which realistically it'll probably be about seven or eight 50 to 80 unit apartment buildings. Okay. Uh, I would like to own 500 doors across seven to 10 buildings in immediately, immediately like now. Yeah. Do you still have uh, your buy and holds or I, I know you sold. Yeah. Well, they're always moving. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I sell some to buy something else, but yeah, we, we still have our properties or okay. many properties. Okay. But I mean, it's been 13 years. So like a lot of them are selling, you know, you just, it's like chess and you know, you, you move things around. I, I get a, I lose a pawn to be, have a better position on getting a queen or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I've, I've sold properties to get bigger and better things like that. What would be your main uh, reason to actually sell? Like, do you have like a five-year plan structure that you look at then or when the market starts shifting around? Yeah, uh, I just know. Um, I mean, over time, 
things change, you know, yeah. the local market out in Columbus, Ohio, which is kind of where you're investing. Um, I think that's probably a little bit more West than when you're investing, but still uh, out there, it's very different now than when it was in 2009. So I bought, I mean, just for context, my dad and I bought a package of 66 homes at once, one transaction in Columbus, not to mention all the other ones we bought and had already owned. Let me actually take that back. It was 58 unit. No, what was it? 58 properties like six or seven of them were duplexes, 66 doors. So like 58 okay, properties. So big portfolio. Yeah, exactly. We bought them all at once. Yeah. Uh, and that was 2009. It's very different now. So, so the point is we've bought a lot of real estate. When I decide to sell is because like a dream come true comes up in Phoenix and I can buy a medical building, but I need a million bucks. So I fire sale some rentals to get a million bucks to go buy the medical building, right? So okay. something like that would be a reason. Or there's one particular property that's just the biggest pain in my butt ever and I can't keep it rented. And even though I felt like it was in a good place, there's too much freeway noise or there's whatever the situation is, it's literally a nightmare property. I'll just dump it to not deal with the nightmare anymore. So, so that's it. I buy every property with the intention that, hey, I could literally own this house till I die. Yeah. But there may be a time where I want the money to put it somewhere else or it wasn't as good as I thought it would be and I reevaluate and I say, I'm just going to cut off the headache, sell it, take that money and do something else. Do you do 1031s with? Um, yeah, so 1031 exchange is a tax strategy to avoid capital gains. And yeah, uh, yeah uh, 1031s a great option for you know, buying a property, getting money and then reinvesting that profits into a property that is of equal or greater value. That's the only catch is the property that you 1031 exchange the money into has to be equal or greater value. So if I sold a million dollar home, I would only be able to 1031 exchange it into a million dollar home or larger, but still a fantastic way of not paying income tax legally. This isn't tax evasion. Yeah, yeah. The government says, you know, if you sold that house and made a half a million bucks, but you take all of that half a million and put it into your next deal, we're not going to charge you income tax because you didn't spend any of it. You just moved it from one deal to the next. So you know, sometimes when you get into the tax strategies of real estate, people think you're being dirty or whatever. The IRS invented the 1031 exchange. So, yeah. so anyway, for anyone who's a newbie here and thinks we're teaching shady stuff, I always, I want to <laughs> over disclaim that. But uh, so That's yeah, 1031 is a great option. Okay. Very cool. Cool. Um, any, any other things that people should look forward to? Um, you know, anything that you got coming out in the future? I know next weekend I'm actually coming to, you're having a weekend uh, sales training on, on teaching yeah. sales, which is yeah. awesome because you're like the master at sales. We actually didn't even bring this up. I mean, you sold over a hundred million dollars, correct? Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Yeah, all in, in person. Yeah, all in. Yeah, a hundred million bucks of oh, yeah. um, from from the various things I'm doing personally. And so I haven't. By the way, let me be clear. That wasn't making a hundred million dollars. Uh, that's. I told this. I told this to my girlfriend, and she was like, "He made a hundred million dollars." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm pretty sure he got a percentage of that. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Let's be clear. I have not in my life altogether made a hundred million dollars yet. Yeah. Uh, since the day I was born, I haven't made a hundred million dollars yet. But I've sold a hundred million in the last several years. And so, yeah, we're doing a two-day sales training for anybody that wants to jump in on that. It's at my personal house where I am now. Uh, downstairs, I'm in the movie theater right now. Um, and it's, uh, what is it? June 23rd and 24th. It's all day of me just teaching you sales training. Um, primarily like spoken copyright, where if you do video sales letters, webinars, if you talk on stage, if you close over a cup of coffee at Starbucks, if you're an auto salesman, if you're door to door, any type of face-to-face -face selling or video selling or stage selling, uh, that's what we're going to talk about is the way to frame things and, and the right words to say and what not to say. 
to increase your sales percentage, your closing ratio. So uh, it's for people that make a living like you and I selling real estate. Cool. What to say to sellers while you're sitting on their couch to get them to sell you their home or when you've renovated that house and a buyer walks in, what to do to get that buyer to want to buy your house. The different verbiage and things that you should and shouldn't say. Uh, anyway, so that's at my house if anyone wants to come. The website for that is, what is it? ThriveAcademyVIP.com. We have a few spots left. Uh, so yeah, ThriveAcademyVIP.com for that. Um, and then just AttendThrive.com, my big event is, is really what it's all about. So AttendThrive.com. But stoked you're coming to the home training, bro. It's going to be good. Yeah, man. I'm super excited. I'm really looking forward to um, raising more money and raising more mm -hmm. capital for my projects. Cool. And I'm jumping into to my first right now of raising capital. So, Good. Uh, so I'm excited to get more training in that aspect. Yeah, man. That's exciting, bro. They say it takes money to make money. That's true, but it doesn't have to be your money. So right. uh, there are there are very few businesses out there that you hear people started with nothing, right? Yeah. They needed some type of money to get started. And people use that as an excuse to not get started. Well, it takes money to make money. I don't have money. Cool. Go raise money like you just said. So most businesses do require capital to be profitable. It does not need to be your capital. I, I started real estate like you already, like we discussed a long time ago, 21 years old with no money. So I found a lender, did a joint venture, gave him a third of the deal, and I was off to the races. So don't be limited by what capital you have available to you. I'm proud of you by saying you're raising money right now. Awesome. The sky's the limit. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I feel like there's so many people that they, like, they come up to me asking how to get into real estate in, in so many different aspects. And one of their main fears or limited beliefs is the whole money aspect. They think you need a ton of money. And I, I definitely don't recommend like any of the gurus out there saying, you know, you can jump in with no money out of your pocket and stuff like that on your first one. Typically, I know you did it and you jumped in borrowing other people's money, but overall, all it really takes is just the education. Like you had education to actually be able to, you know, you knew what you had to do to align everything. Yeah. Um, you know, so I definitely want to stress on people, any listeners out there that are, you know, brand new trying to get started that it really just comes down to education. Right. So would you recommend anything to, to, you know, somebody just getting started, um, you know, what they need or, or what kind of motivation to, to get them going? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's another hour long conversation in and of itself, but uh, yeah. you need to be financially motivated, but that can't be it. You know, yeah. like people like, I'm not even in it for the money. Yes, you are. Cause if it was free, you wouldn't do it, but that's not enough. There needs to be a bigger reason why. So for me, real estate isn't my, my motivation. It's my vehicle. If that makes sense. Like buying, fixing and flipping houses. There's people that try to make it sound romantic. Like, Oh, I'm cleaning up neighborhoods. I'm providing great homes to families. Awesome not to sound like a jerk, that's not exciting to me enough to, to deal with what it takes to be a real estate investor. Uh, for me, what I love about real estate is it's my vehicle that gives me the time freedom and financial freedom to actually do my why, my purpose, my cause, and that's thrive and everything else. So I would say you need to be money motivated, but there needs to be a deeper, more emotional reason that the money matters and that you're willing to make a hundred offers and not get a single deal because if you're only into it for the money after you've made a hundred offers and did a single deal, you're going to quit and go try to make money somewhere else. That's there right. needs to be a bigger reason. Uh, another first step that you know is, is getting the education. I'm glad you mentioned that. I do not recommend somebody just wings it because real estate does not forgive. Um, the good news is there's no income ceiling. You can make as much money as you want. The bad news is there's no floor and you can lose 
everything in real estate. So if it was easy, who would be making money in real estate? Everybody. Yeah. But it's not complicated. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. There's a system, there's a process, get that education. As far as where to get educated, live events are huge. I've mentioned fortune builders. I believe in them a lot. Um, there's a bunch of great books out there. Uh, Gary Keller, the founder of Keller Williams has a book called real estate investor. It's awesome. Um, what else? Uh, just yeah, books aren't enough, but it's a great, to your point of getting started, it's a great way for people to start immersing themselves. And then I would join a local REIA group, yep. REIA, which stands for Real Estate Investor Association. Uh, that's how you're going to start building your network. You're going to meet realtors, contractors, lenders. I don't think necessarily, no offense to any REIA group members out there or, or owners, most of the REIA groups I go to, the content they're teaching is just dog crap. It's, it's yep. not really helpful what makes it worth your time going is that you're going to leave with a stack of business cards this thick of real estate agents, contractors, lenders, um, architects, uh, other investors that will wholesale you deals. All yeah. that will, will be there. And uh, so that's the real value. Maybe you'll learn a thing or two. Again, I've been to some that was really helpful. Most of it, it's like meh. But uh, where I've really, really gotten value out of real REA groups was building my early network. And real estate is such a relationship business. So, so join a RIA group. Uh, they're fairly cheap. I think they're like 20 to 30 bucks to go yeah. most of them, or you can buy like an annual membership for like 150, 200 bucks. Yeah. Mine is, uh, I think like 45 bucks, my local one, very close, uh, per year. And then it should be $10 per, um, visit, but I actually volunteer at it. So I get to waive it cause I'm thrifty like that. Nice. <laughs> and, I, and I like to build the connections. That's literally how I started my career um, was, was going to RIA groups and the main guy that spoke there, man, I would, he would text me and he's getting close. I'd walk out and this is important, right? Uh, because I, I said this earlier to somebody, you know, a lot of people see Grant where he's at and all these different influencers where they're at, uh, but they didn't see what they did to get there. And so, you know, for the people that see me where I'm at, here's where it started. I'm 21 years old, you know, getting a text or a phone call that the guy's there going out to his truck to grab his suitcase, would not let him carry it, to grab his bag that had his projector and the huge, long, freaking um, pop-up. What's that thing called? Whiteboard, white screen. Yep. Take it in there, plug the extension cord in, plug the projector in, plug his laptop in, pop up the freaking screen, get it all focused and all centered and all looking good, get his PowerPoint started, plug in his clicker and handed it to him so that he got to just walk right in and look like a gangster because he didn't have to do any of that to his, for himself. And I did that every single week. When it ended, I packed everything. I was like his little, uh, what would you call that? Like his little gopher doing everything. But I got his cell phone number and I could call him whenever I had a question. And we would go out to lunch regularly and I would pick his brain for free. And he was... Uh, I was 21. He was in his late 20s, but was making millions of dollars. And so, oh, yeah. so what you're doing by volunteering, I think is very smart. Uh, and that's literally where my career started is, you know, I couldn't afford to pay that guy to coach me. So I was just his gopher and did all of his crap. And in exchange, he coached me and it was helpful. Yeah. I mean, servant leadership. I, I think that's the best. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, overall there, there's so many different things that people slack on by, by taking action. And, um, and you know, at the end of the day, you just got to jump in and the education is extremely, extremely important because it's not forgiving. But at the same time, um, you know, I guess maybe just me, I'm just a risk taker. So 
uh, I, I didn't get any of the proper education, but I did read a ton of real estate books uh, for two years, as well as all the YouTube and podcasts like this that helped me get to the point where I felt comfortable enough to pull the trigger. And um, I think on on uh, your real estate course with Ty, you ended up, you, you had your friend Chris, Chris uh, Hansen, Hansen on it. Yep. Yeah, and he, I mean, his story was very impactful as well. I mean, he, he was in, he was getting foreclosed on his house in the wrong time of the market and then literally still had people that, um, you know, private money loans to be able to pick up all these houses, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, he's definitely high risk. He's got bigger balls than I do. That's for sure. But yeah, yeah he, he's been a millionaire for a decade now and he almost went bankrupt in January of this year because he was so highly leveraged and, and, and I'm not throwing him under the bus. He shared this, which is why you know the story. So yeah, yeah. don't think I'm throwing my buddy's personal info no, out there. The love. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so for any of you who tuned in right now, he, yeah. he's, he told the story publicly, but uh, he was like 30 days away from bankruptcy because he did short term loans, expecting things to happen sooner. There were delays that would you would have never imagined would have happened, but they did happen. And he was literally like 30 days away from filing bankruptcy by the grace of God, everything ended up happening in that 30 days and went off to instead of filing bankruptcy, making multiple millions of dollars. So high risk, high reward as a single dude who's 33 years old, multimillionaire, he gets to do that uh, for me. And and now, I mean, he's, he's, he's in a relationship and whatever, but uh, at that time he's only feeding himself for me. I can't quite live that risky, but anyway, so yeah, the point is, um, you know, real estate is, it'll reward you and it'll punch you in the mouth. Um, <laughs> back to what we were just saying a second ago, get that education. Yeah, of course. And selfish plug here, take action, become action driven guys. Love it. <laughs> Bro, send me that book. That looks cool. Yeah, man. I'm going to bring it up to you. We're going to yeah, take oh, yeah. <laughs> bring it, bring it to me at my, uh, my event here since you're coming. Yeah, cool. Hell yeah. Actually, if you want, bro, uh, bring 30 of them. You can pass them out to everybody if you really want. Hell yeah. Sounds good. I'm serious. Uh, Yes, I swear if you really feel like it, bring them out. Everyone who arrives, not that this is part of the podcast, hey everybody, but everyone that arrives gets a little uh, little, like welcome bag and I'll put your book right in there. Okay. Very sick. Awesome. Cool, man. All right, brother. Well, um, is there, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Is there a way that people can reach out to you or... Yeah. Instagram at Cole Hatter. Uh, I have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. And it's all at Cole Hatter. But the only thing that I actually personally look at is my Instagram. I have nothing to do with my Facebook, Twitter, or, uh, or anything else. So, uh, best way to do it is to follow me on Instagram at Cole Hatter and send me a DM there. Um, otherwise come to thrive, attendthrive.com, uh, 1500 entrepreneurs, the biggest badass speakers in the world. Uh, you know, Brandon, yeah, you, you're, you're, you've been to it, you know, and so, uh, would love to invite you guys to come out. Uh, I don't even want to call that a selfish plug. It will change your life period. So, yeah. and that's not about patting myself on the back. I hardly speak at thrive. It's all amazing speakers. So credit to the 26 amazing men and women that come out and speak to teach my audience. So if you really want to up level your game and become a freaking entrepreneur gangster thrive is the best event in the world period. Uh, and again, I say that proudly because it's, complimenting my speakers all i do is just make sure there's a stage with a working microphone they do the rest so come out to thrive uh we'd love to have you at 10thrive.com yeah i mean seriously thrive guys is is something that impacted me so much last year it it was outrageous all the connections and just genuine people really looking to make a difference with their money and become the the leaders that 
you know, God intended us to be. So it was super awesome. After the, you guys gave such a great deal um, after the event that I got tw- a little over 20 some people together and we, we all called up Brian and, and got ourselves a, a good deal on some early bird tickets. So it was good. Nice, dude. That's freaking rad. Well, I appreciate that support. Hey, do it again. Go get 20 more people to buy, will you? That's right. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, that's cool. Cool. All right, brother. Well, I appreciate you guys so much. Um, if anybody is watching this, do me a favor. You guys can reach me at brandonelliotinvestments.com or my, uh, my email, brandonelliotinvestments at gmail.com. Um, do me a favor, share this, uh, subscribe, like, share, get it all out there to other people that are interested in learning real estate investing. You know, this is my man, Cole Hatter. I appreciate you, brother, so much. For Pretty sure, good. bro. All right, guys. Till next time. God bless. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit brandonelliotinvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.